Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of In The Zone, our 82nd episode. I am one of your co-hosts, Anthony Piniello, along with Giancarlo Alino and Chris Martelli. Chris, I'm going to kick it to you right away. We're going to start off with a little bit of wrestling. Just break that down real quick. Uh, today, we're just going to talk about, basically, uh, 2010s was a big part, at least of my wrestling experience. So we'll talk about, the, or maybe not top 10, but just greatest champions we thought of the 2010s we know that that was mostly the pg era so uh, we saw a lot of different type of champions we saw you know champions that were held the title very very long we saw champions that were kind of more transitional but they had a lot of reigns and we also saw just some great champions that had two titles at once so we had a bit of everything in the 2010s I guess I'll start by asking either one of you, whoever wants to jump on it first, who in your mind, when you think of the 2010s in terms of champions, who do you think had the best re- the best title run out of any single uh, superstar? Uh, for me, I'm going to go right down to SmackDown 2016, AJ Styles. There was uh, Everyone was wondering how he would do for the longest time, and when he held that WWE title, he just had a think a year long run with it no one's seen anything like that since uh since your boy back in 2012 so like he, he put on matches with so many great superstars and he was just rolling for so long aj styles comes to mind over the last 10 years i'm gonna go with uh the miz the intercontinental title run he had brought that title back and established it again and made it more legit made it all those guys who Held those titles, want to chase after it again, just the legacy about it. It was going from the pre-show to when Miz won it, back onto like the main event and uh, closing out SmackDown all those times. That feud with Dolph Ziggler uh, helped make his career, uh, get some uh, interest back into him. So I'm going to go with the Miz's IC title run when they split the brands. Yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to go with, uh, I'm probably going to go with Sheamus in 2012 with the world title. Uh, just because it was surprising to me. I thought at the time, you know, Sheamus just turning face was kind of an iffy situation for SmackDown. And, you know, the, the the crop of heels at the time was just awful. You had Del Rio, who is now probably going to jail. And you had Dolph Ziggler, oh. who hasn't been a big part of... He hasn't really had a marquee... WWE title match in like four years. So at the time, Sheamus, you know, he had to pull up his socks and he actually, he absolutely killed it. He had it, I think, for, I want to say like eight, not, no, was it eight months? Maybe eight months, maybe a little under that, but he was probably one of the most winning champions of all time. People were getting tired of him winning. I remember uh, looking back at his record that year and I think he lost like 30 matches all year so i'm gonna go with sheamus with the world championship but uh i guess we could have more than three choices how about we talk about john cena's u.s title run because it was kind of different and uh, it was an open challenge type thing you know we saw a lot of new stars with neville Sami Zayn, dean ambrose also uh right after he beat rusev he faced them the next night on raw so what were your guys thoughts on john cena's run with the u.s title Oh, I loved it. I I didn't know he had that in him, to be honest with you. Back in 2015, everyone kind of thought like, all right, his, his heyday is over. He's just here to put some put some new talent over, hopefully. And every match on Raw, every single week was like a 20-minute classic. He just took on different guys every single week. I uh, really brought some prestige back to that title. We usually rip on that fucking title. So for John Cena to be mentioned here... It's really awesome stuff on his part. So I love this title run back in 2015. You know, the U.S. title run. I thought that it was pretty cool. You know, you had Sami Zayn come up, Neville come up. Cesaro got his moment there, but he unfortunately didn't win. I remember when he kicked out of the FU, everyone was like, okay, is this it? Is this where Cesaro gets it? I didn't get it. Never got, it. <laughs> Never got uh, I guess... That, that moment, but yeah, uh, I agree with what Pinello said. It was just great stuff from Cena at a time where we thought maybe he was kind of on the way out, and he wasn't, so surprising stuff from John. I'm going to take it somewhere else here, boys. I'm going to go tag team division. 
it was around the first time the brand split happened, like around where Dolphin Miss started feuding. The Usos fucking ran Tuesday nights for the longest time. I can't remember a specific reign, but like they had those titles four or five times and they held it more times than pretty much anyone else. The matches they put on with the New Day and the Hell in a Cell and four or five months of just solid tag team action there. So I'm going to give the Usos and the New Day some love, maybe. Yeah, I agree there. Even uh, I'm going to go with the Cruiserweight title too at 205 Live when that first got established. Uh, Neville, when he was running there, he was beating a who's who. He was taking out all the contenders, and then, of course, they had to ruin it by giving Enzo the title and kind of took away from what it could have been on 205 Live. When you look at that roster at the time, they had Mustafa Ali, uh, they had Drew Gulak, just all these guys, and then uh, Neville, Austin Aries, when they had their match, ended up being on the pre-show, so I think that kind of took away from what it could have been, maybe more successful, but uh, I'm going to go with uh, Neville's reign. I thought that was solid. Enzo yeah, literally another, killed us. Another great that was absolutely great was uh, I'm gonna kick it to Pinello's boy Kevin Owens Universal Title. Basically, the f- he was basically the first official champion that had it for a long time, and no knock to Finn Balor. You know he beat Seth Rollins clean, but then he got injured and they had to vacate it, and then they did that fatal four way on Raw. And, you know, the storytelling in that match was just the beginning of a beautiful title run for Kevin Owens. I just wish Kevin Owens versus Jericho was for that title and not the U.S. title at WrestleMania. I think they really could have... That could have been Kevin Owens' year. I think when when I look back at 2017, I think that was the time where they could have pulled the trigger with Kevin Owens and being a mainstay main event player. But it's unfortunate that they they obviously went with... uh, with Brock Lesnar there, and um, or not was it Brock Lesnar? No, it was Goldberg at the time. Jeez, uh, <laughs> it was a shame they went with him there. But Kevin Owens had the belt for I think it was it was a while. It was like five months, and he beat Seth Rollins in the Hell in the Cell, and he had a couple great matches. So I'm gonna go with Kevin Owens too, having the Universal Title. That's my favorite Universal Title run out of anyone. So. There you remember uh you remember Jericho getting locked in the shark cage? Oh man. It's just a lot of comedic stuff and those things. I just love how it was presented to him in the first place with Triple H basically doing all the dirty work. Then he picks it up. Which brings me to my next point. A couple years prior, Seth Rollins with one of the fucking funniest heel runs that I have seen in my life, just being the most coward WWE champion that we've seen. Six, seven months of just teaming up with all of these guys, having a whole posse around him, trying to keep the title as long as he possibly can, and then unfortunately getting injured. But when Seth had the title in his first uh, big major singles push, some of the best TV I've seen in a while. That was good. (laughs) What's another one outside WWE that you would uh, put up in that category? Because I look at Impact Wrestling, they had Bobby Roode. He had a long reign. Uh, Kurt Angle had a memorable reign. What about, like, New Japan maybe wasn't as uh, monumental, Kenny Omega and uh, Okada, but in terms of, like, a North American, I guess, company, would you say Bobby Roode's one-year reign as champ in TNA was probably as close as you can get? Uh, yeah, I'll say that one. I also liked when uh, Austin Aries was the champ as well. Uh, I thought that was pretty good. You know, the underdog finally conquering TNA. But yeah, Bobby Roode, when he, uh, when he left Beer Money, uh, he just became a star. And we all knew that was going to happen. Um, I remember, Alino, you burned me the Bound for Glory 2012. And seeing James Storm versus Bobby Roode in that street fight or what? I don't even remember what the match was. I think it was a street fight. And they just were smashing beer bottles over each other. And it was just a war. And, you know, that was kind of the match where it kind of opened my eyes that Bobby Roode is probably the closest thing outside of WWE to like a Randy Orton. And, uh, you know, him and TNA carrying the load for a year. And the, the superstars that he had to face, you know, there were a lot of legends there at the time. And. The fact that they ran with Bobby Roode for a whole year was actually quite surprising for me. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's, like, up there with, like, uh, 
like CM Plus and, and those type of raids, but for me, it was very surprising. Love it. I also think when you think of like surprising runs, like I really think of call me call me crazy, but every time I think of the U.S. title, I know that he never ever defended it. Dean Ambrose. <laughs> he had such a long reign. And every time I think of U.S. champion in like the 2010s, I just think of Dean Ambrose because he had it for so damn long. And every time the Shield would come out, he was the only one with the uh, with the individual title. You had Seth and Roman with the tag titles, and you had Dean with the U.S. title. <laughs> Perfect. That, um, what was that, Extreme Rules? Yeah. When they all won. I remember, I remember we were at Prom and they all won the title, so that was that was monumental. Dean, oh my God, I think he still has the record actually for longest title of the basically since the two thousands, and he's defended it maybe like seven times, not including house shows. But what about uh, Cena's reigns belong here in the twenty tens? Do you think like other than the the U.S. title run, you think like any of his main WWE championship, his world title run, you think any of that kind of belongs here? Kind of a wash. I don't know if it's a wash, but like I can't remember a whole lot of good from Cena with the title. Like he's had it like six or seven times, I think, throughout the last 10 years. I don't know. Not a whole lot stands out. Just some of the matches later on with AJ Styles, and that's not really fair. But um, you got to... You got to give Cena his credit. He was here, you know, pretty much the whole 10 years, just about. Did a lot of great work with the U.S. title, but with the WWE title, not a whole lot of matches stand out for me. Yeah, I, another one, I guess Cena's reign kind of opened the door, gave some guys opportunities. Like, we saw Kevin Owens come up and beat him, and that was like a huge shock. We saw Sami Zayn debut, so it was not so bad because it gave those kind of opportunities to people. But when you look at what he did with it, like it didn't really do much when he eventually lost it. Uh, didn't make another superstar. It just became another transitional championship that uh, was passed around along the mid card. So I think if they book that properly of a way for him to lose a title while also building someone up without making it for the world title, I think it would have led to a lot more uh, main event stars being created during that down period, I guess, for WWE. Daniel Bryan, after uh, WrestleMania 30, do you think his WWE title reign probably would have been as impactful as CM Punk's back in 2011? I mean, uh, the next few months consisted of, like, if I'm not mistaken, kind of boring and plain matches with, with Randy. And then they kind of like, I remember when it happened at the time, it was kind of an anticlimactic feeling, but they definitely had the potential there with Brian with, you know, everyone was on his side and then he had the, and then he won at 30 and then it was like this grand fucking amazing moment. No one thought would ever happen. I didn't like how they went about it after, but if you want to talk about a few years little down the road when he made that heel turn and won the title, I think that was (laughs) handled a little bit better. Yeah, I think it would eventually, if he didn't lose it because of his uh, injury and his concussion problems or his neck injury, I think it was at the time, not the concussion. But regardless, I think he eventually wouldn't have had it that long. I think they had their eyes on Randy Orton and John Cena. And I don't think Daniel Bryan was really in those plans long term. I think it was just like a short thing where let's make the fans happy uh, and then go from there. But I though they had him for a one-year reign like a John Cena did in the early 2000s or mid-2000s with Daniel Bryan. I think eventually he would have lost it and ended up feuding with The Shield probably or Seth Rollins when he was uh, with the authority with Triple H. That was a disaster. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably what happened. I was going to say, how, how impactful do you think... Uh... <laughs> How impactful do you think Jinder Mahal's title reign was? <laughs> oh, that one, what, six months? That was a while. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and his, he took it off 
Was his first feud with Shinsuke? Was that it? No, I took it off Randy Orton. He t- okay, that was brutal. We took it off Randy and then started feuding with Shinsuke. And like at the back of our minds, we're like, oh my god, this is it. Shinsuke's finally going to win because it's fucking gender. And then gender pulls through with it. And it's just six months of no one. No one's even recognizing what gender's doing at this point. It's like, okay, who the fuck is next in line? Because no one wants to see this anymore. But I'll give gender credit. He was kind of just thrown into the fire. They gave him the title randomly. He did some solid work. I'll give him some love. Yeah, we saw the great Kali make a big return to WWE. <laughs> <laughs> limit, what was it, the Pujabi prison they had, him and Randy, and then he comes out, climbs up the thing. I thought he was going to fall, but they made it work. And uh, for what it was, he did his role. He was a good heel. Uh, did a lot to AJ Styles, I guess, when he won the title again, that huge pop he got, and then he faced Brock Lesnar the following weekend. So it, it ended up being a positive in the end of it. and. It proved that, okay, anybody can win at any moment in WWE. And, like, the most unexpected thing, because I thought nobody thought Jinder was going to win the title for Morton at the time. So it showed that the most unexpected thing could happen. And I like how they did that, threw a swerve in there. Oh, yeah, that was definitely a swerve. Uh, Another swerve was when Sheamus cashed in his money in the bank and became the WWE champion. (laughs) That was one of the worst... Probably most like least interested I've been when it comes to cash ins. Like he cashed in, and I was like, oh, "Okay, like that's cool. Like just give Roman a little more love. Just make him get cheered a little more. You have this guy win in the tournament, and then Sheamus with the confetti down, kind of like what Randy did to to Brian at uh, SummerSlam. Sheamus just comes in and takes away Roman's moment, and the title run was absolutely terrible." I thought they probably could have done a little better there with Sheamus, especially with his new look, at least at the time. But we all know what that turned out to be. That turned out to be the bar, and they became one of the best, most successful tag teams in, for like four years. So I don't know. I guess I kind of wouldn't change it. But Sheamus winning in 2015 for me was very surprising. That was like probably on par with gender. That was very surprising. I'm going to give uh... – I'll give Seamus the benefit of the doubt there. I'll take that one over, Jinder. He had fucking, what were they called? The League of, uh, what the hell were they oh, called again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah, God. With Rusev and Del Rio and Wade Barrett when he wasn't fucking injured. So all those guys were thrown together because they're not North American. So that was fun. But then I thought, like, it was the same thing with Jinder. Like, when Seamus won, it's like, okay, this will stall for three weeks and then we'll just give it back to Roman. I don't think anyone ever thought Sheamus was going to get given the ball again and have him roll with it. But, man, Sheamus, I think he's going to go down as one of the more underrated guys in history. Just such a solid worker. He does everything well. That was a little unfortunate for him. I didn't see it lasting, and it did not. And, uh, oh, my God, that group. That slipped my mind. can't believe you brought that up. But, yeah, that was a mess. <laughs> oh my god Wade Barrett and uh, the League of Nations and then they have Vince McMahon too like come out and they were going after Roman every week and that was a way to build up the Royal Rumble when uh, he came out and they attacked him as a way to get sympathy for Roman and then he ended up winning the title even against all the odds beats Triple H in the main event oh my so was god that right after Mania then I think that was both, or actually, no, that was, I think, the Royal Rumble, because I remember Roman was champ, and then they said he had to go into the Rumble and defend his title, and then uh, Triple H won it, and then yeah. Roman got the number one contender at WrestleMania, and they main evented to booze. It's very brief. But with the bar, anyway. though. Yeah. They, uh, another thing, everything Seamus is in, he just kind of seems to get thrown into things and he makes it work. And Cesaro's the fucking epitome of that. So those two, they get together and they're, I think they're five time raw tag team champions by the end of it. And they eventually moved out over to SmackDown. They took over. They went on like solid matches with the New Day and the Usos and the tag division for a few years was just on fire. It was, yeah, it went from being nothing to on fire. 
I mean, uh, I remember, I think it was 2013 or 2014. It was like when you had like Roman and Seth as a tag team and you had like Luke Harper and Eric Rowan and there was really not a lot of tag teams at all. Like they were just putting guys together. And then of course you have the Usos come back. You had the New Day, obviously. Uh, their first heel run was just amazing. Uh, so th- there was them. There was the bar in 2016. There was, you know, uh, Gallows and Anderson. There was a lot of good tag teams. Even uh, Cesaro and Kidd in, I think, 2015 before he got injured. You know, there were a lot of tag teams that could have easily just won the tag titles and held it for a very long time. So they had options. And it's unfortunate how we're kind of looking at it now and the tag team division has kind of gone down again. They've really had to rely on the Usos and the New Day for literally like six years now. So when I'm when, when all said and done, when they retire, I think those two tag teams are going to go down as one of the greatest ever. So Cesaro low-key is like, because he was doing the stuff with Tyson Kidd a few years prior. And that was also at another time where it was like, it was him and Kid, and the Lucha Dragons. And like oh other yeah, team. remember those guys? <laughs> so like people yeah. were looking at Kid and Cesaro, and we're like, "Oh, these guys are fucking for real." And then that was another thing that didn't really take off. So, yeah, Cesaro, low key tag team legend. <laughs> yeah, Cesaro and the Lucha Dragons was at Sin Cara and uh, Kalisto. Yeah. Oh yeah, Kalisto. Kalisto <laughs> had a he was a U.S. champ, I think, right? He had a good uh, Twice. couple months there, yeah. So, I don't know, Kalisto ended up benefiting from that more. But, I don't know, in terms of his reign, kind of forgetful when you look at him. I think he should have been on 205 Live right from the start. Could have built him up more and then move him up like they did with Buddy Murphy. But if you're looking at forgettable reigns during that time, I think Kalisto's is, uh, two U.S. title reigns are probably forgetful. Um, did he be uh, Ryback? Uh, oh yeah, I was just gonna say Ryback. Freaking <laughs> off. <laughs> Go from Jeez. there then. I mean, remember when he won the the IC title in the chamber? It was just like, who gives a shit? Like, I don't remember anything from that run. The only thing I remember was when he faced Big E, and that was a pretty decent match. But other than that, I don't really remember anything because I remember the Miz dominating the 2010s with the IC title. I don't remember Ryback. And then I'm looking back at it now, like Del Rio won like every title basically. And I don't remember anything other than maybe the world heavyweight title when he beat, uh, when he beat Cena, when he came back, that was like huge, but I don't, yeah, I don't remember anything from Del Rio really. When it comes to Del Rio and championships, I think of one thing, but he was on the other side of it. And that's when Dolph cashed in on him. Probably one of the biggest fucking pops the last 10 years. And it was, what's crazy about that too, Del Rio's face run was not that bad. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I'm not with you at all. See, <laughs> <laughs> uh, And then they move fucking Ricardo with RVD. And it's, oh, <laughs> it's just perfect so matchup weird. right there. <laughs> Oh, I think they they have a match on the... I can't even remember for the title, if it was for the world or for the U.S. title. They were, like, on the pre-show. It was, like, a hardcore-style rules match, and no one really gave a shit because no one bought that Ricardo would actually turn on Del Rio. It was just a mess. Yeah, that was bad. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I guess we're going to move on. But... I'll, you know, talk about the playoff format because I have... No idea who's facing who. Yeah, so uh, our guy there, Jerry Bettman, came up with a new format. 24 teams, so basically everyone almost gets in. Uh, If you lose in that first round, you end up going into the draft lottery. You can uh, potentially see Pittsburgh have a run at Lafreniere, which would, uh, I guess, be fair to a lot of people's eyes. Uh. I don't know about the draft. That's something I don't like, the draft lottery, that the, everything they change about that. But uh, this whole new playoff format, you're going to have a play-in round. So uh, the Leafs are playing Columbus first round. Pittsburgh's playing Montreal. And then uh, you're going to have a round robin with the other four top teams. 
and the winner of those games gets seeded one through four. So a very confusing format. Instead of going one versus 12 and so on, they're doing these different little play-in rounds. So what are your thoughts on these potential uh, format changes? Uh, I think it's okay. I mean, for the situation, 24 teams, though, that kind of sounds like, like a lot. Um, I'm looking at the matchups now, and it's looking like Pittsburgh's facing Montreal. Um, I don't know. I, are we going to talk about each series? I don't really know, but I do like the format in terms of uh, their quick defeat. You know, it's benefit almost every team. Uh, if you're a team like Buffalo or if you're a team like who's just outside the playoffs I'm pretty sure Minnesota just made it like Arizona um, or is Arizona into I don't really know so maybe yeah, teams yeah, like, uh, like you know what I mean teams that like just missed it I think those are the only guys where they're straight at it's like well why is it 24 teams, not all 30 or 32 or whatever the hell it is. But, uh, no, I, I actually like this format. Uh, the, the top four teams get the bye. I think that's that's pretty respectable. I mean, there should be a reward, I guess, when it comes to records. And uh, just like an NCAA or anything else, you know, I think uh, an appropriate way to uh, have the best teams kind of have that advantage. So I like it. I think it's a good idea. The only thing I don't like is how they go into the draft lottery if they're out in the first round. Because, like, all these teams were top half of the standings anyways. I don't really see how that point of it is fair. Other than that, I'm cool with it. What matchup are you looking forward to other than the Leafs and Blue Jackets? Ooh. Give me Flames and Jets. I think that's a big boy series. Calgary's a little pissed off from last year after, I don't know if did they win the division. They had a solid fucking year. And then Colorado just rocked them. So I want to see how they rebound. I want to see what the Jets do. Everyone's been saying it's the Jets year for years. So these are two teams. I'm pretty excited to see them clash. Yeah, I'll go with, uh, I'll go with New York and Carolina just based off of pure skill. I think you have Aho, Svechnikov. Those two guys were elite already, and they're not even 24 years old. Uh, Panarin, I think, should be the heart winner. We already talked about that. Uh, he had a monumental year. Zibanejad has emerged as a arguably a top 10 center in the league. And, of course, you also have a potential Svechnikov-Kako matchup, which would be very promising the young fans. So I, I like that matchup. I know the, the goaltending is kind of a question mark there, but Kostorkin has been amazing for the Rangers and, you know, for Carolina, I guess, you know, uh, who, who's their goalie there? Is it, is it right? No, who's their goalie? Is it James Reimer? Reimer. Yeah. James yeah, Reimer. Oh my God. He's back. <laughs> their goalie. Yeah. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll go with that series, but another series as well. I like is uh, Edmonton and Chicago. I think that would absolutely it's like a passing of the torch. It's like the past versus the present. You have like Jonathan Taves, who's a three-time Stanley Cup champion, taking on a guy that is the best in the world and still wants to win and be on the top of the mantle and top of the mountain in Connor McDavid. So I think that would be an absolute treat to watch in a five-game series between the Blackhawks and the Oilers. Is there any way yeah. Chicago would upset that young team? They do have that championship DNA over there. It's possible. Easily, yeah. I think if Robin Leonard performs like he did last year, yeah, they can win. Because so, who's the other? Is it uh, Mike Smith and uh, Koskinen? Like, I don't know if that's gonna really do it. Even they have the best player, Drysaitel and McDavid, I don't know if that's gonna be enough. Oh, Leonard's on uh, Vegas now with uh, Flurry. Oh, is he? Yeah, they're stacked. Oh shit. Think that Ron Robin might go to Vegas, depending on how the other ones match up. But looking at Chicago, Crawford is going to have to come up big. But you have Keith, uh, Taves, Kane. I wouldn't rule out Chicago taking out Edmonton because Edmonton 
loves coming up short in these type of moments. Uh, I think Arizona is going to surprise everyone. Them against Nashville. You got Phil, playoff Phil now. is a consistent playoff performer. Taylor Hall is playing for a contract, so he has to come up big here. And uh, you got Darcy Kemper, who was on uh, Vesna pace before he got injured. He's 100% now. So there's a team that I think can come out of the West. I'm going to go with uh, Arizona. In the first half of the season, no one was playing any better, too. And then Taylor Hall got there, and it's like, whoa, what's going on? I think I'm sorry, Alino. I think Nashville would smash them. <laughs> I got Arizona in five. They have VOC. They have they have like potentially three, four unreal centermen. They have Duchesne, Turris, Johansson, Benino. They're they're pretty scary, man. And Rene, we all know he can be one of the hottest goalies when he's on. So. I, I wouldn't count Nashville even going as far as like the conference finals again. I think Nashville has that team. They have the, they have the like kind of like they, for me they're in the same boat as like the Blues. They kind of have almost the same team. They have that winning mentality. They they've been there before. So I don't know. Like, I, I you make good points with Kessel. You know, going to Arizona and you know he's a two time Stanley Cup champion. You have Taylor Hall who he's never really seen playoff hockey that much he did last year but they only won one game and it was against tampa bay so or two years ago sorry um so yeah i don't really know i, I mean i like kemper he's been amazing but i'll stick with nashville there is this um do you guys see vancouver doing any damage because they got minnesota in this i could just so against minnesota but other than that i don't see them going past that who would they take on? Would it be one of the uh, so teams that are already in? Yeah, be either uh, St. Louis, Vegas. Uh, who oh, are the other yeah. two teams? <laughs> yeah, it'd be based on seeding, I think. So if Vancouver gets in, uh, and they have a lower seed compared to whoever else comes up. If Arizona or Chicago don't make it through, then they're fucked. Minnesota is oh, always okay. a weird one for me. They're there every year and. It's, it's always the least interesting series. So I want to see Vancouver's young guys come out of this, make a name for themselves. Well, you know, you said if Arizona wins, they would probably face St. Louis in the in the next round. So that would probably yeah, be a Depending on the round robin. Yeah, depending on the round robin. If St. Louis loses all three, then they get the lower seed. They will match up maybe with Vegas, but that's probably a likely second round. Uh, yeah, uh, Back to Vancouver, though, uh, I'm not really sold on them uh, when it comes to facing Minnesota, as crazy as that sounds. I don't really know. Uh, we saw a couple of years back. Well, it's not a couple of years. It's already been like six, seven years. But Minnesota beat Colorado. Uh, that was kind of like – was eye-opening. For me, that was eye-opening. That was kind of like never sleep on Minnesota, even though they've never really amounted to much. They do have that veteran – they have such a guys have been through a lot. Eric Stahl, you know, you guys know how I feel about Eric Stahl. I think with the veterans that they have, I think they could upset a young team in Vancouver. So I'm not going to say Minnesota's going to win, but I'm not counting on Vancouver to have a long, uh, a long, lengthy run. To me, this Vancouver team is exactly like the 2016 against the Cavs. It's kind of like, yeah, there's not a lot of expectations here getting their feet wet, but in a couple years, they'll probably be a juggernaut in the West. I like it. That's like the top four teams in the West. Like you have the Blues, the Vegas Golden Knights, you have the Abs, and you have the Stars. All four of those teams to me are scary, all in different ways too. St. Louis, like Bennington could be a constant. Ryan O'Reilly is one of the best two-way centers in the game. His contract says that he deserves it. But Trangelo to me this year had one of the best years for a free agent. So he's definitely going to want that contract as well. Uh, when you look at Colorado, there's not a lot to really say about them. They have the second best player in the world, the Nathan McKinnon. They have Landis Cog Rantanen. Kale McCarr is looking like a 10-year veteran defenseman. He's been that good. Uh, yeah, and then Dallas, 
some stupid reason, uh, even though Jamie Benn and Sagan haven't been as they have Ben Bishop been playing at a Vesna level since 2017-2018. So, attending comes a long way in the postseason. And, of course, when you talk about Vegas, you talk about goaltending, and that's Marc-Andre Fleury. So, I don't know, man. I like all four of those teams going really far. So, whoever has to play in those games, you know, you have Ben, Nashville. They may be worn out when they, when they get to those teams. Um, is it possible for the Blues to repeat? Uh, I'll let him talk first with that one. Yeah, the Blues, <laughs> they could, depending on how, uh, what shape they come in. Uh, we don't know how some of these teams are going to come in. Maybe you might see some opening games, maybe opening rounds even. Uh, slower pace because they know that they have to prepare for a seven-game series in the conference and Stanley Cup final. Uh, you might even see some players even emerge and become superstars all of a sudden. So uh, I like the way they're positioned. I think they're going to play more of a slow style to start. They got Bozak, O'Reilly, a lot of two-way guys, and then uh, Petrangelo carrying the D. So it's possible. I can see them going to a conference final in the West for sure. What do we think of uh, <laughs> Chris is going to kill me? What do we think of the Islanders? Oh, first I've round. Been, like, talks. I, I feel like when you look at the Blues, they're dumb. They're, they'll they'll fit wear you down, and they'll just continue to just get that offense from at least three lines. Like you have Alex Steen to you know he's a guy that no one talks about anymore, but I guarantee you get to that game seven overtime winner uh so they have a lot of guys like that you know Pareko is an absolute monster Vince Dunn is an emerging offensive defenseman Petrangelo has it all together O'Reilly has it all together I guess you could say Bennington is the new Matt Murray for now but I think he could potentially be better and more consistent than Murray so yeah you know what I think I have St. Louis going going the distance this year. I think I could see them going to the going to the finals again. For me, it's between them and uh, those are the two favorites for me. Still haven't even seen like a drop-off from Vegas yet. They just came into the league firing on all cylinders and now everyone expects them to go at least conference finals. They're like, they're similar to the Blues. Like they're just, there's no like clear-cut superstar but like there's just a lot of good players all around and they play the game right and they play so well. So I, you know, I think Vegas right now would be my early pick to go all the way. Yeah. I think Columbus can uh, screw them over. Oh God. <laughs> With Wait, what do you say? And then okay, if uh, you, this is uh Kyle Dupas's boy over here. This is his uh, first taste of the big leagues. This is not the AHL. This is not the OHL. He's going up. He's going to be coaching against a Stanley Cup winner, a guy who last year bounced out the top team in the East and in the league in four games. So could be a little bit intimidating. Do you see Tortorella repeating and coming out uh, first round with an upset? Oh, my God. I wouldn't be surprised given his history. Uh, the guy knows what he's doing. He's one of the better coaches in NHL history. Um, I just look at that team and, you know, I, I'm going to get a little cocky here. I look at that team. I don't know if they can take on the Leafs. There's a lot of young offensive firepower. Then again, Tampa had the same thing last year. What the fuck am I saying? But I just think, you know, they lost Panarin. They lost Bob. They lost so much on that team that made them so successful last year. I believe Torts can pull out a win or two, but this, oh my God, this will be a tough first round matchup. I got the Leafs in five. Yeah, I got the Leafs in, in a nail biter just based off Tortorella. I think when you when you think of coaching, uh, you have Sheldon Keefe who, uh, you know, he's done a pretty good job, but he's not as experienced. I think it's going to be a wake up call for him when he faces Tortorella. Uh, Luke Dubois, guys, I think he's a superstar in the making. I think... Under the bright lights, he will shine. Uh, I think in this series, we will see him match up with Austin Matthews. I think that'll be an outstanding battle. 
But at the end of the day, they don't have a guy that can guard like John Tavares. So I think, you know, this is going to be a very close series. But at the end of the day, you know, they have Merz Lickens and Corpus Allo, and that just doesn't match up to, to Freddie Anderson. So I think at the end of the day, I'm going to take the Toronto Maple Leafs in a nail-biter. But again, like... Nothing is impossible here. Columbus swept the, the Lightning last year, so I'm not gonna come in here saying I'm really. I'm not gonna try and be cocky, but I got Toronto edging them in, in the first round. Who scares you the most on that team? Elvis. <laughs> <Their goalie. laughs> that guy is gonna probably be another Bobrovsky. He's gonna come out of nowhere. He's gonna just shut down people. Get a shutout one game. And it's not going to be looking good. And then Dubois, of course, because he's, he's going to be an unbelievable player. And they got some uh, the playoffs. I'll say Zach Wierenski. <laughs> yeah, if he's healthy, for sure. A shit ton from the point. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he pulls like a Shea Weber type Team Canada performance because that's exactly what I could see happening. If Seth Jones is not 100%, they're going to look at Zach Wierenski who at one point was looked at as the best player or best defenseman under 25 with other guys like Morgan Riley on the list. So if Zach Wierenski could live up to that expectation, he is by far, in my eyes, the scariest on the Columbus Blue Jackets. They got those pillars on defense, which is with him and Jones, which that, that's definitely a step over us. But um, I don't to me, Cam Atkinson scares me. He's one of the trickiest goal scorers in the league. He fuck. He's one of the fastest guys in the league. He's quick hands. He could snipe it from like 50 feet out. He's one of those guys like Mitch. You can't really seem to get him off the puck, even though he's just this little fucking rat that goes around all over the place. They got to watch out for him. The connection with him and Dubois, that's, that scares me a little bit. I don't really know what to expect when it comes to... Uh... Their offense, I feel like they can absolutely pump us one game and then get shut out like every other game. So, you know, I, I love Cam Atkinson. I think he's a great player. But like you said before, you know, you lose Panarin. I think that's absolutely huge. I think that's a big hole in their lineup. You don't really have a left winger that could play. I'll still stick with the Leafs, but yeah, Cam Atkinson, very scary player. Yeah, so uh yeah, good player. Uh Weinberg is another one that could be under the radar. Uh a couple of years ago he was looking like Joe Thornton out there with all those assists he was packing in and uh he can be a guy that can kind of cause some trouble depending on where he plays and if he plays to like a certain uh, time frame, if he's getting a lot of ice time under Tortorella's system, but I think Weinberg's maybe a low-key guy. Yeah, he had that year where he had like 13 goals and whatever, how many assists, and then everyone thought, yeah, that was going to be the big breakout. Then I don't know if he got hurt or what happened, but it just didn't happen with him. He's still only 24, 25 years old. He's been in that system for years now. Yeah, I like him. But like the Leafs, I just fuck, man. We get all their young guys. If we can get rolling, I don't think they can keep up with us. So for them, it'll be like similar to last year, just shutting down the top guys at Tampa Bay, and then they're just gonna try to grind us out because offensively, Ed, I don't do not see them getting a step on us. You're in Montreal. Yeah. yeah. What was that about the Habs? Oh, Chris. Oh, I was gonna say, where do you guys think the Habs can go if they would like? If like, do you think they could do any damage? Do you think they can squeeze out a win or two or a series, or is Pittsburgh too much for them? I think they can. Uh, they'll make it a fight because they got Carey Price back there. If Shea Weber's healthy, watch the fuck out. I don't give a shit who's going up against who. If Shea Weber's on the ice, that's a problem. Um, Mac Drouin has to show up. Drouin and Domi, they got to carry the lead offensively. But, like, 
Other than that, for the Habs, it's their defense and their goaltending. I think they could steal a win, maybe two. But overall, I'll take the Pens in this series. I don't know. With uh, Shea oh, Weber. Because uh, as long as Shea Weber's healthy, I think they got a chance. I think a lot of people are looking at Carey Price and thinking it's 2014. Every year, no matter what company, uh, well, no matter what uh, pundits on TV, they're always saying Carey Price is going to steal this, he's going to steal that. They barely. They only got in this because of the 2014 format, and that's six years ago, 2014. So it's like, what has Carey Price done lately? He's had some good performances. I don't think he's a top goalie in the league anymore. He's still in that top five, six. But this is his proving time. Like, if he doesn't prove that he can steal a game here or there, if he can have some performances where Pittsburgh's struggling to even get something in, and they're having a tie, like. A hard time just even getting past them with Crosby. He's got to frustrate those guys a lot. Then I can see him, okay, he's back to where he was. But until then, I see uh, Montreal depending solely on Shea Weber to lead their team. Work out there. I think Pittsburgh just steams roll like, right past them. I think when I think of the bracket, though, in this round, Robin, I think this really benefits the Leafs the most. Like, if this is a best case scenario for the Leafs, like I think this is it. like you're you're avoiding Boston in the first round. Uh, this is where it's put up or shut up. I think here for the Leafs, like if you don't win here, I think huge changes are going to happen. I already I already know that. Kerfoot's probably gone. You probably have another couple forwards that are out the door, but we need more G. But I do think that this whole um, this format benefits the Leafs the most for sure. This is where there's no excuses now. This is the time where the Leafs have to they have to pull up their socks and go far. Would we be taking on Boston or Tampa in the second round? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there it is then, boys. I forgot what the second round feels like, so <laughs> we're obviously not looking past Columbus. They're a great team, but uh, <laughs> yeah, this is the year. Another thing with no fans, like, do you think we haven't even heard anything about like player personnel or staff? Like, who's allowed to even be in the arena? Like, let's say they do something similar to what the other leagues are doing, like WWE, let's say, and have like you have 15 people designated staff that are allowed to sit in the stands spread out on each side so you have like a small cheering section do you think uh it will lead to that or would you rather just empty arena and uh play as is gotta go with arena now. Uh, as much as i feel like a practice when watching it but like it's it is what it is I think that's the best option right now. Got to throw some people up there, bang on the glass a bit. I want to hear a little bit of a ruckus. Got to make it as much playoff hockey as uh, as we're used to. Maybe next week we'll know more about the NBA return, but if the NBA were to throw something different, I know, uh, Pinelli, you put in the group chat that we had, uh, like a group stage thing, uh, your thoughts on that. Uh, like if they were to do that, because I know that's something that has been uh, thrown around. They want to do a March Madness thing. They wanted to do that for so long, uh, one to sixteen, uh, reseed the playoffs, so eight from each conference. But if they do go to the NHL and instead of going uh, with a round robin, they do a group stage. What would you think about that? So like one would play eight in each conference. No, no, they want to do like March Madness, where one versus sixteen. Two versus fifteen, so they would have eight from each conference go in and then reseed. So Toronto could play like Oklahoma City or uh, depending on who was in the West, and or no, Toronto would play Memphis, I think, and then uh, Brooklyn would be matched up, I think, with the Western team. So it'd be a lot of weird matchups. And then oh uh, yeah, yeah. Go, yeah, if they were to allow twenty four, Portland would be in, and if they were to do a round robin like that. Which one would you prefer? Well, I like the March Madness setup. I would love to just to see them intertwine the different conferences and all the cool different kinds of matchups and everything. Yeah, I would be down for that. I never really thought of that the March Madness setup for the NBA. 
you'll definitely draw a lot of yeah take it chris well no i was gonna say i saw that um the other day i saw like a post where it would be like the the raps would face memphis the nets would face the lakers which i think would absolutely be amazing like I think it's absolutely amazing. I think that would be an absolute different, fresh feel, especially like we're coming back and we haven't seen basketball in like three months. So I feel like that would be very, very cool um, in terms of like, I'm, I remember they pitched this like two years ago. Adam Silver said he wanted to get rid of uh, conferences entirely and do this one to 16 before. So I wouldn't be surprised if this may, if they do that, I wouldn't be surprised if that's something they do moving forward, where they do one to one verse sixteen, two verse fifteen, three verse fourteen, and so on. So, uh, yeah, it's something different, and I would really like, it, especially if we saw a Brooklyn versus the Lakers in the first round, Kyrie versus LeBron. Oh, the kind of the only thing though with that, like I think it would work this year most because I think they're all going to be at uh, Disney World in Orlando. So it's like the same hub city, the NHL, they're trying to have it at like as many places as possible. So the NBA are in a position where if they're all in the same spot, they can actually realistically do it without the travel involved. And just if they're a Western conference team, like if it's a Lakers versus Brooklyn play at a time, like three or 4 PM. So it'd be a good time for both sides. Uh, I think they want to do it like summer league setup. So there would be a game on at 12 every day, uh, 12, three and five so you'll have pretty much nba on all day so wouldn't be opposed to that i still think uh lakers and uh lakers are gonna go far i think that those are the that are gonna they're gonna go far but there's there was another matchup that i saw that would happen and i think it was the thunder would face the heat and that would be absolutely amazing i think that would be a series where I would not miss a minute of that. Would be yeah. Would these be uh, like also best of five, or like how would they do it? Just one and done. Yeah, I think best of seven. One and done. Oh, one and done. Wow. Oh man. Well, I was gonna say Miami in a full length series, but if it's one and done, that'll throw some shit out the window. That'd be fun. Single elimination. Let's do it. Let's get these games going. Orlando would beat the Bucks. <laughs> oh man, the Bucks so Oh my god. And Giannis dips. Yeah. Where to? Yeah, man, that's pretty, that's basically it. Fucking solid this week. Alrighty, boys. Well, that's uh, episode eighty-two. Uh, and stick around on uh, our other episodes you can check those out uh look down the list here depending on what platform you're listening on stick around for next week where we'll probably find out more about the nba and uh get some more info on potential start dates for the nhl thanks a lot